Good morning, everyone. Please take a, a seat. Let me add my welcome to Paul's. It's lovely that you're here with us as we continue our series through the book of First John. Can I invite you to turn in your Bibles to First John chapter 2? That's on page 1021 in the church Bibles. And while you're getting there, why don't I pray for God's help? Dear God, the world is full of conflicting messages about who Jesus is. And that is why it's so important that we turn to your word where you have revealed yourself to us and most clearly in the person of the Lord Jesus. Help us to to see him clearly today. With the help of your Spirit, help us to understand and apply what we read. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're reading chapter 2 and from verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. There's an outline on the the screen next to you if that's at all um, helpful to see where we're going. I'd love for you to picture with me for a moment Uh, A Sunday much like today, a similar time uh, during the service, maybe even during the sermon, and a number from our congregation all stand up in unison and walk out the front door. These are people that you have known for a, a long time. Some of their kids go to Sunday school with your kids and you socialize outside of church regularly. One of two of the, the group are, are in your life group 
and you really value their contributions and insights. They seem to think really deeply about whatever Bible passage you're studying. And to you personally, one of them has been a a wonderful source of comfort and and friendship during one of the, the tougher and sadder periods of your life. All of them together leave our church family. A couple of months or or weeks later, you bump into one of them and you ask them how they're doing. They tell you about the the new church in town that they're a a part of. They believe wildly different things to us, but they tell you that they're, they're happy there. They've experienced God in a new and deeper and more meaningful way. And you're left wondering... What do they know that we don't? When a friend leaves church over some issue or another, it's unsettling. Is there something that our church lacks that they've found somewhere else? Could we be getting it wrong as a church? What is the the godly and thoughtful response to this? And this is exactly the the situation that the church John was writing to faced. It's what caused him to pick up his pen and write to reassure Christians that they have the real thing. What they have been taught by the apostles is the truth about Jesus, and they don't need extra. If you've been with us for the past month or so, we've been referring to the people who left the church as the leavers— But it's here that we first uh, get John calling them out explicitly. They're in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And John elaborates on that in verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Evidently, the the church to whom this was written to was working its way through what we would call a a difficult split. Some significant leader teachers had left and were trying to take others with them with all sorts of attractive rhetoric and teaching. They've, They've claimed to have power over sin that those left behind don't have. They've claimed to have knowledge of God that those left behind don't have. They've claimed to have victory over evil that those left behind don't have. Believers' claims are big, and so it's inevitable that some of those left behind are are wondering to themselves, should I stay or should I go? John's way of, of reassuring discouraged and and confused Christians throughout the letter is to do two things. First, he he holds up a a picture of those who have left left the church, and he says to those who have remained, they are not the truth. Don't love or listen to them. But secondly, he also turns to the church, and he says to them, despite your weaknesses, despite your continued struggle with sin, you are the ones who know the Father. Your 
the Christians. You're true Christians because you have faith in Jesus and it makes a difference in your life. And that's how we're going to to view our passage this morning in in two headings. We'll first look at at the warning against the leavers and then the encouragement for Christians who need assurance that they've got the real thing. And so firstly, the warning. The leavers are anti-Christ. Over the next uh, few weeks, John is going to say some pretty shocking things about those who who left the church, but he starts with arguably the most shocking designation of them all. In verse 18, he says, and we've read it a couple of times, children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. I hope you're uncomfortable at this point, or at least a a little confused as to why John is so bold, unkind maybe, as to call people, people who he'd once been pastorally responsible for, antichrists. The language alone conveys images of an evil, beastly, demonic figure with horns, the stuff of horror films, but not the kind of thing you call people you used to go to church with. John's point isn't that the leavers are literally trident-wielding demons masquerading as human beings, but he does want us to make a connection He considers these individuals to be representatives of the evil one. Why? Because though they don't literally have wings, they literally are antichrists. They are anti-Christ. And it couldn't be clearer than what we have it there in verse 22, if you turn there with me. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. You don't have to breathe fire to express the spirit of Antichrist. You just need to set yourself against God and what he has done in the Lord Jesus. What what are the, the hallmarks of these Antichrist. Well, two things I want to draw out. They, they deny the apostles. Will you read verse 19 with me again? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. I love the lyrical um, kind of uh, melodic way this uh, verse reads. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. The word us here is John referring to us, the apostles, us, the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Us who saw with our eyes, heard with our ears, and touched with our hands. Here is a group who had listened to John previously, but who think they can move on that they have nothing to learn from John or the apostles. John saw 
the eternal life of God appear in the world in the person of Jesus with his own eyes. If you should listen to anyone, it should be him and the apostles who did likewise. But believers won't listen to him. And if you're not, and if you're against the apostles, you are not of us. You are anti-Christ. But secondly, they they denied Jesus. You'll have noticed that in the verses that we read. That the split in the church wasn't over minor things like musical taste and traditions or something as trivial as dress. The split was over matters of of real importance. Matters of substance, not style. Specifically, they split over Jesus and whether or not he was who he claims to be. And we read from from verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. In other words, the, the leavers were questioning essential truths about Jesus's identity and mission, whether or not he was truly human, whether he was in fact divine, and whether or not he is God's savior. They were questioning even the importance or relevance of his death. Uh, let's, let's see these clearly. Uh, we'll do a little bit of cross-referencing. Will you jump with me to, to chapter 4? Uh, and verses 2 and 3. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And there you go. They, They denied that Jesus was truly human. This is quintessential to the Christian message. Jesus had to be a man so that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey God's law and suffer the punishment for human sin. They they don't stop there, though. They denied Jesus' divinity. Also, you come with me to chapter 5, just across the column, uh, and verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus also had to be truly God, so that because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective, and also that he would be able to to bear the, the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. One last uh, cross-reference, and it's back to chapter 4 and and from verse 14. And we have seen and testify that that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Since death is the, the punishment for sin... 
Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and everlasting life. This is what it means that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And yet the leavers denied it all. The, the church to whom the, this was written, excuse me, they were separating over who Jesus is. And when you put both these hallmarks of the leavers together, their denial of the apostles on the one hand and their denial of Jesus on the other you can imagine conversations going a little like this. Oh, you've been listening to John about Jesus, have you? I remember when I did the same back in my unenlightened days. That was, of course, before I found the truth. I learned that the things we were taught about Jesus were, were terribly simplistic. I mean, who believes in miracles today? Jesus was a man like us and no more. He was a great teacher who taught that we should be the best version of ourselves. And you know, since I've been going to this new church, I really have grown. I'm a much better person. We focus on things that actually matter like justice and inclusivity and ending poverty. That's far more important than preaching to people that need, they need to be saved from their sins. Besides, who could possibly believe something so intellectually contemptible as the atonement? Why should I warn people about hell and of a God who gets angry and who needs a, a sacrifice? That's so primitive. We've moved on from that. God doesn't work like that. He's going to save everybody. What you really need to do is interpret the Bible through a, a much more sophisticated, interpretative grid, and I can show you how. It will really elevate your, your spiritual experience. I don't know about you, but some of those things are things I've heard. Maybe they're familiar to you. And today, our churches split over matters of substance, over the apostolic teaching of the gospel, it's front-page news. It's no surprise that John and Peter and Paul, the New Testament authors, all foresee or deal with what happens when that early generation of eyewitness leaders in the church are gone. And they warn that when they're gone, competing views will pop up and threaten and very briefly before we move on, I don't know where you are personally in relation to, to who Jesus is, but let me tell you that everything depends on what you believe about Jesus. If you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Christ, God's own Son, sent from the Father to save people by dying on the cross and rising three days later, if you don't believe that, 
you are literally anti-Christ. Anyone who doesn't believe these things can't be in, in right relationship with God because they are denying the whole basis on which such friendship could exist. What do you believe about Jesus? It's an important test for all of us personally, but also one that needs applied to any religious teaching we may hear. The existence of antichrists, whether it's people trying to deceive Christians, entire denominations abandoning the teaching of the apostles, or entire ways of thinking in our society that are anti-Jesus. It's alarming. But thankfully, John is confident that the Christians who remain can find the resources to abide in Christ. And so, secondly, we get to the the encouragement. You have the Holy Spirit. John appeals to the presence of the Holy Spirit applied to the believer as the grounds of confidence that they have the real thing in a world of competing anti-Christ ideas. We see it in verse 20, but you, and that's a very emphatic you, have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. What's going on here? John isn't just contrasting two kinds of people in the world, anti-Christs on one side and anointed ones on the other. Rather, he's providing the the basis for our confidence. He wants his readers to know that they have the authentic thing and a direct link to Jesus who is eternal life and will give them life. It says that in verse 25. And what does he point to? What does John point to? The gift of the ascended Christ to all believers the Holy Spirit. We've got good reasons to associate the the anointed and the anointing language uh, with the Holy Spirit. Verse 27 tells us it's not just something that they received, but something that abides in them, someone taking residence in them. That was also in our our reading earlier in the service. But also the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to guide all of God's children into God's truth. And that seems to be happening throughout our section. How do you know, therefore, that you have hold of the the true gospel? Well, according to the author, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You've received him. All Christians know the truth because without it, they couldn't be Christians. Well, you might say at this point, lots of people claim to have the the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit is the basis for my confidence, then what would indicate to me that I have the Spirit? Well, thankfully, in the letter, John has been really clear. And I wonder if you noticed that link in our reading between the Holy Spirit and, and knowledge 
And we read from, from verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Verse 21, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And similarly, in verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The, the one who has the Spirit is the person who receives and continues to receive the full apostolic message. In other words, the, the antidote to falling into false ideas of the Christian faith is to be found in holding fast to the initial statement of Christian truth given by the apostles that is confirmed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What that would have looked like practically for John's readers would be not playing fast and loose with what the apostles taught. In John's day, and we've seen this in our series already, there were many who had no need for Jesus, um, and they, made no, uh, no, they didn't make much of sin. You can remember back in chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And I've heard some of my friends talk about being Christians and following Jesus, but also that, that Christianity in general makes way too much of, of personal sin. Very few are, are willing to embrace a Jesus who says that the, the deepest problem you have is internal, a sin problem. If we make light of sin, we are in danger of moving a, a few degrees off what the apostles taught, and that's really dangerous. So another example of taking the apostles' teaching uh, carelessly in chapter 2, people were making light of, of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. John says to, to the church, My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Some today would teach that we're to, to emulate the model that Jesus put forward, but, but not to look at his death as substitutionary. In other words, some think that he didn't need to die for sin or for your sin. And when people make light of sin and, and little of the atonement, they're constructing a, a Jesus of their own making to accomplish their own ends. How can you be confident that you have the, the real thing in a world of competing ideas? Well, you know because you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit, and it guides you to the truth about Jesus and his word. And how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? You're doing everything you can to hold on to the fullness of that apostolic message, the good and the difficult, the nice parts and the ones you'd be embarrassed to read with your friends, 
the salvation and the judgment, the grace and the needs to be confirmed into the likeness of Christ, the willingness to come and it all be done for you by Jesus, and the need to make every effort and work hard at your salvation, all of it. And that's how you know. In a world of anti-Christs and anti-Jesus thinking, the anointing of the Spirit provides confidence that we've got the real thing. And that anointing is connected with your and, and my acceptance of the message of the Bible that the apostles, like John, passed on. And John's final exhortation to Christians is simply, abide in those truths. We we read from, from verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. What do you do? You are to abide in the message that the apostles taught concerning Jesus in all of its fullness. In other words, rejoice and defend the apostles' teaching concerning Jesus, that though he was God, he didn't count his divinity as something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And insofar as what you have heard from this pulpit, from Paul or Matty or Scott or me, And insofar as it is in line with what the apostles taught, abide in that. You don't have need for deceivers who are going to cherry-pick their understanding of the Christian faith and tell you that you're good enough. The temptation is always to to preach the, the spirit of the age, something really palatable and nice from here to be on the right side of history, to have a Jesus that doesn't quite conform to the one given to us in the teaching of the apostles as we have it recorded in the Bible. But what John says is, don't entertain listening to outsiders who are making that pitch. They, they don't have what you really need. Believers are are bad spiritual salesmen. They're trying to to give you a message and for you to make a spiritual purchase that you don't need. The word abide means you have to, to remain grounded in the source of life, which is Jesus. There's no life outside of him, so stay with him. 
the inscripturated word, which contains the apostolic message, is your very life. That's it. There's no extra. We need nothing else. That's what it means when John says, you don't need anyone to teach you. If you have the word of, your, of the word of God in your hand and the Spirit of God in your heart, you have everything you need to understand truth and grow in Christ. Please don't be so easily moved off the message of this book. We live at the end times. That's what John began with. People want to do what they want with Jesus And their reconstructed message tempts many to leave. But John says to us, have confidence. And where's that confidence? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? You continue to embrace the, the fullness of the message taught by the apostles in Scripture. All of it. And the promise for those who do is eternal life. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you for what we have come to share in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for who he is and all that he did on our behalf so that we can be forgiven, become your children, and share in the promise of eternal life. Please help us to never be unsettled by anyone who would try and take that from us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.